The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Koto no my haremai ki dietary requirements, the spin-off's food podcast. Each month we get together and eat and drink delicious things and chat with the buzziest people in New Zealand food. Welcome to episode four of season two, a Christmas special. Meri Kirihimati. Call Simon Day Toko Ingawa, and in the studio I'm joined by Alice Neville, the spin-off's food editor. Kia ora, Alice. Kia ora, Simon. Meri Kirihimati. Oh, your pronunciation is uh, better than mine. Unfortunately, our third host, Big Boss Food Entrepreneur Sophie Gilmore of Delicious Business, cannot join us today. She gave birth to her gorgeous daughter Odette five days ago. Congratulations, Sophie. It's very exciting to have another Gilmore woman in the world. It's a pretty good excuse to not be here five Mm. days ago, although, you know. She almost came as well. She was very close to the two of them joining us. It's very buzzy to think back to a year ago when we were eating and drinking in the sun at the hunting lodge, recording live from the field. Now Sophie has a daughter. I've got twin boys due in four weeks. The podcast won an award and we have another year of eating and drinking live on air in the can. And I'm just the same. <laughs> well, no I, did, I wasn't going to bring it up, Alice. <laughs> But in the last 12 months, you have done things like recorded two podcasts with Al Brown and lost one. True, We recorded live from Ice Cream Mecca Duck Island. We've set off the fire alarm and been banned from cooking in the studio. (laughs) We've interviewed a hungry master, belittled white people food with Pax Asadi. We've eaten crickets, cooked tardig, rated New Zealand's hot cross buns with Sophie's entire family. We've stuffed peanut slabs into pepper steak pies with Albert Cho. We've drank mezcal sake and natural wine at the same time. And we've tasted New Zealand's first carbon neutral beer, among many, many other things. And so today we have a very special guest who has basically made all of that happen. Hilary Pearson, the general manager of Freedom Farms, the sponsor of the podcast and all the spin-offs food podcast. Thank you for joining us, Hilary. Oh, thank you for having me, Simon. So it's our real pleasure. Uh, this is where I'd usually try and capture Freedom Farm's purpose in two sentences, but I'm sure you can do that much better than I can. Can you explain why Freedom Farms exists and how the model works and what it is you do? 
Yeah, sure. So I, I've actually been working on our elevator pitch recently and it's not going great, so I'll do my mm. best. Um, so Freedom Farm started uh, about 13 years ago uh, by two brothers, uh, Gregor and Cameron Fife, um, who prior to that were uh, part of EcoStore. Um, Gregor is a massive bacon fan and was going into the supermarkets um, and sort of scratching his head wondering where all of the the well-farmed New Zealand bacon was because it certainly wasn't on the shelves. Um, So they did a bit of digging, realised that there were farmers out there um, doing really great work, um, but all of that pork was going into the commodity supply um, in in New Zealand, which meant that the farmers weren't getting recognised for the really great work that they were doing. Uh, No one was getting paid fairly um, to to do the extra work that that comes with farming in a way that we felt really good about. and yeah, so it's sort of grown from there. So now, 13 years later, we have uh, Freedom Farms, obviously pork, um, on supermarket shelves, alongside uh, Freedom Farms bacon, ham, uh, lots and lots of hams going out at the moment for Christmas. Yeah, it must be a really um, busy time of year. Yeah, super fun time of year though. Um, and uh, lots and lots of sausages, I think, kicking into the summer season, we're seeing a pretty, pretty strong uptake on those and free-range eggs as well, um, which is another very exciting part of our business with some very, very cool farmers. So, yeah. What made the pork industry especially uh, needy for this um, introduction of, of Freedom Farms? Yeah, so the pork industry um, has sort of seen a pretty significant downturn over the last 20 years. Uh, the increase in imported pork coming into New Zealand has has really played a big part in that. So at the moment, around about... 50, somewhere between 50 and 60% of the pork we consume in New Zealand is uh, is grown here, which means the rest of it is bought in from countries overseas, um, often countries that don't have the same sort of welfare standards that we've implemented in New Zealand as sort of the baseline. Um, and uh, that gets even scarier in bacon, so sitting around about 80% of the bacon that we see on the supermarket shelves comes from countries of unknown origin. Um, mm, which crazy. It is mm. crazy. It's it's. It's and it's it's sad too, you know. Like I think that in 2019, going into 2020, when we're having all of these conversations around food miles and and all of that stuff, um, bacon seems to be lagging a little bit um, mm. in the way that that that's changing. Um, it will change next year with country of origin labelling requirements um, starting to come in. We're just waiting on those regulations, draft regulations, which hopefully we'll see before Christmas, but I'm at this point not holding my breath. Mm. Um, when is that supposed to start officially? Like, well, when will... So the regulations have to be all finalised, I think, in June next year. Yeah. Um, so that window is sort of shrinking now in terms of the time that we have to negotiate to make sure that they are really, really robust. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's sort of the big risk is that it's taken so long to see country of origin become part of the legislation in New Zealand. Um, but there is still opportunity for that to be really watered down um, right. in a way that's not really meaningful for a consumer yeah. or it's not clear enough for a consumer still standing in the supermarket. Mm. So, But that's where Freedom Farms, I think, is a, a really cool proposition because you know when people are buying our products, we know that they come from the same farmers that, that we know and love. Um, that's really consistent always in yeah. New Zealand. So, yeah. So I had a really cool opportunity to... Um, go down to the South Island and meet Helen Andrews and look at the way that she and Mark, her husband, farm. Can you tell us a little bit about what the um, standards are for Freedom Farms, what you're asking of your farmers, why it's different, and why that's important? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess the baseline um, that people 
or guess want to understand about freedom farms is that we are 100% supporting New Zealand farmers. So that's that's you know there's no negotiation. It's a really good place to start. It is. It's a very good place to start with bacon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so from there, um, there are sort of conversations around crates and and cages. Um, Since we started, we've seen uh, sour crates become illegal in New Zealand, so no one's using those now. Farrowing crates are still widely used in indoor-intensive farms in New Zealand. What are they What are the, and what are the differences? So farrowing crates are um, they're the crates that, that the sow goes into just before she gives birth. She gives birth to her piglets in there and is essentially confined on there. So piglets have full access to her teat so they can feed. Um, the really strong argument from um, from the indoor farmers, obviously, is that a sow, you know, relatively easily rolls on top of her wee piglets and um, and can crush them. Um, so, you know, that that's something that that has to be worked through. Um, but obviously, we strongly believe that pigs should be able to display their natural behaviours um, in terms of of all of those motherly instincts. So even things like before pigs give sows give birth. Um, they've got a strong instinct to build a nest. Um, so with the Freedom Farms, um, you know, sows when they're out about to farrow, or out about to give birth, um, they've got their own little sheds in the paddock and they'll go in there and they'll build their nest with their straw and, and they get to do all of that stuff. Something very cute about a pig building a nest. It is quite cute. Well, <laughs> Pigs are so cute. Pigs they are, are so cute. gorgeous. I was really touched when I got to see them all running around in, at Helen's farm and it's yeah. just this personality to them. I love it. There, there is personality to them. I think the thing that I find kind of incredible is that a sow about to give birth or a sow who has recently given birth is not a cute proposition. No. <laughs> they're, they're fiercely protective of their babies. I remember and, um, when I approached one of the sows who at that point was um, looking after her new piglets. Yeah. I think the correct verb was to bark at me. Yeah. And she really let me know that I was um, up in her space. Absolutely. That, you know, if I I don't watch myself, I'll I'll be told about it. Yeah, you'll be told about it. Absolutely. And I think it's, I I really love watching our farmers um, when they're chatting away because you often see them out there when when we're wandering around having a look on the farms and and the farmers know what to say to calm their sows and to to keep that all in line. So it's super cool. Cool. Um, so yeah, so five freedoms I think is a principle that a lot of people who are familiar with animal welfare um, are familiar with. So that's um, freedom from hunger and thirst, so making sure that the pigs get a diet that's really species appropriate, um, not getting waste food, um, continuous access to clean fresh water all the time. Um, and then there's freedom from discomfort, um, freedom from pain, injury and disease, freedom to express normal behaviour, which from my perspective, is the most important thing. That's what I, I really want to see the pigs getting to be pigs. Um, and freedom from fear and distress too, which often comes down to the stockmanship. So it's the way that people working on the farm are, are managing and, and talking to the animals and, and making sure that they're not getting wound up unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so beyond that, the Freedom Farm Standards also call for some environmental management. Um, so I'm sure you experienced the, the joys of the the enriched compost um simon when, when we were visiting helen's farm um the uh, the deep straw shelters where all of the growing pigs um reside um are all lined with a deep straw lining which absorbs all of their manure which keeps that out of the paddocks um keeps the waterways clean you know keeps the soil in, in really good shape um and and provides this wonderful resource for all sorts of other applications too so We've got um, enriched compost, which has got the straw 
composted into it going out to um, there's some some retail compost applications for that so some of those um, people can buy in stores like the warehouse um, on the layer hen farms that all of that goes to local um, growers so local local horticulture take all of the waste out of the chicken sheds the barns at the end of the day um, yeah so it's a really good sort of cycle I think um, that's a part I found really interesting was um, you know we hear a lot about free range mm-hmm. uh, and these pigs aren't free range they're um, living inside a shelter yep. which makes huge amounts of um, sense in this situation because it prevents um, any of that effluent ending up in the waterways. Yep. They're still in an environment where they're free to move and socialize with their friends. It wasn't crowded in any way. And then it also prevents anything like, um, you know, bad weather affecting yeah. their happiness. Absolutely. And it creates that holistic um, sort of life cycle of a farm where you can create more um, products. And that was really, really impressive. Yeah. I think you have words and understandings of things in your mind. Um, but when you're raising animals to be eaten, to make money, mm-hmm. but also to be environmentally friendly and um, at scale, yeah, it just made so much sense. I think that's what it comes down to is, is the scale. Um, so, you know, we set out initially Freedom Farms, Gregor and Cameron could have gone and bought a little farm and set up a little farm that sort of met all of the, the values that they thought were really important, they felt really good about, um, and perhaps sold through farmers markets or, or done, um, followed that sort of roadmap. Um, and lots of people do and have followed that roadmap really successfully in New Zealand. Um, but it was important for us that, that we were making something that we really, really felt proud of available in every supermarket in the country. Um, and that's where we really want to see to see the change sort of keep growing and, and evolving um, is the ability for every New Zealander to buy this sort of quality of produce. So, Cool. Um, so, Hilary, Christmas must be crazy for you. How many hams do you move at this time of year? Um, yeah, so uh, Christmas starts ramping up sort of around Labor Weekend. I start getting phone calls from people who right. are looking for uh, for Freedom Farms hams, Bullshit. which is really good. Cool. <laughs> no, Labor Weekend it starts. Be prepared. <laughs> oh, and I bet you yeah. get calls on Christmas Eve as well. Uh, Christmas Day. If oh, we, if, yeah, if we... I cleared some voicemails <laughs> last year from Christmas Day. The delightful, I've got this ham here. What should I do with it now? Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> where Google Check comes in Check out thespinoff.co.nz yeah. if you're uh, finding yourself without the knowledge of what to do with your ham on Christmas Day. Uh, with the help of Hillary, uh, we've put together some really nice recipes that we'll talk about in a minute. And some guidance, which is important. Yes. Yeah. And we've got the video from last year, of course, of yeah. Sophie and her mother, Emerald. Super good fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so over the Christmas period, uh, around about 25,000 hams will go out into Whoa. supermarkets Woo! all over the country. Um, there are varying sizes, so they're not literally 25,000 whole legs of of ham. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot more interest this year in the smaller, smaller format. So the smaller um, quarter champagne hams have been really popular this year, and we're starting to hear people say, well, I've got one for my book club Christmas dinner and then I've got one for um, my work do and and so it's that sort of like smaller scale hams which are exciting because I always find it really daunting if you end up with a whole leg of ham sort of that can feed 60 people there's only so many leftovers like don't get me wrong love ham leftovers but you know if you're feeding a family of five and, and you've got enough for for 60 that's that's a lot of leftovers to get through <laughs> yep. so 
yeah, so lots and lots of those smaller ones are, are getting people's interest this year, which is cool to see. I've always wanted to know what is champagne ham. Is it a, is it a pig that's been drinking a little bit of bubbles <laughs> throughout November? I'm sure that would contravene some welfare, welfare standards. To Just a glass or two throughout the <laughs> early summer? No, champagne ham um, doesn't contain champagne, so I'm really sorry about that. Um, so it's a partially deboned ham that's sort of been massaged back into shape. Um, so it's a perfect option. Uh, if you don't have much room in your fridge, um, you don't want to deal with a whopping great great ham. The champagne ham's a slightly smaller format and far easier to uh, to carve too. So if, if you're not into that whole um, sort of performance. Unwieldy. Yeah. <laughs> so why is it called champagne ham? I have no idea. Oh, okay, I'm going I'm to ask old Mr. Google. I have to Google that one. Yeah. Right now. Yep. We'll hold our breath while Alice finds out. Keep, what, keep talking. I'm, so my guess is that it's a way of referring to the, like, it being upper quality. Oh, yeah. So that's my guess. You, you find out the truth. Um, you could argue that it almost looks like a whole champagne ham, almost looks oh, like, like a champagne, champagne bottle. bottle. Yeah, that's what um, I was um, thinking. What is a champagne bottle called again? It has a special name. Mm, did I? You can Google that as well, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not helping. Uh-oh. But um, while I look, is this a good time to mention that we actually are giving away a ham? It's a great time to mention So it. please email me. Last podcast I suggested you send ham puns, but I think that scared people off. So if you don't want to send ham puns, I understand, although I'd still love them, <laughs> just email Alice Neville, A-L-I-C-E-N-E-V-I-L-L-E, at thespinoff.co.nz. Just put ham in the subject line and I'll know what you what you mean. You do have to pick it up, though, either from Parnell in Auckland or Morningside in Auckland, but it's worth it. Champagne ham. Hilary, you helped us um, put together our recipe story for this week for three alternative uh, ham glazes. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk us through them? Well, let's start with the Negroni and then we can have a drink um, because we've got some Negronis to make as well. What what did this taste like and what was the inspiration? Uh, oh, the inspiration was a fair bit of enthusiasm for drinking Negronis in our office. <laughs> I love drinking the same thing that I'm cooking with. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a pretty good time. A, yeah. It didn't appeal hugely to me because I don't drink. So uh, for me, it was more the citrus notes that I got super excited about um, because the citrus goes so well uh, with ham. I think it's a flavor profile too, the citrus with ham, that people get really familiar with. Um, but it's, I think, a more exciting option than chucking a jar of marmalade on your ham, um, which is a little bit, can be a little bit sort of flat um, and one-dimensional. So Negroni, I think, was a really um, cool flavour. I think a lot of people were quite enthusiastic about it. Um, I've heard a lot of people tell me that they like the Negroni more than they like the ham, <laughs> so that's great. Um, but yeah, but it, it does, the other great thing about this glaze is because it doesn't have chunky bits in it, you can kind of like shellac up this kind of beautiful, glossy, um, rich looking ham, which I really, really Ooh, like. And the yes. colour comes up pretty cool. It does look so, beautiful in the pictures. Yeah. Um, so that was the thinking behind that. Yeah. So we've got a quarter of a cup of gin, a quarter of a cup of Campari, a quarter of a cup of sweet vermouth, half a cup of caster sugar, one tablespoon of brown sugar, and a quarter of a cup of low pulp orange juice. So simple as well. Like yeah. all, all the glazes are actually really simple, which is what I love. Yeah. Well, that's, I think too, glazes, people tend to get a little bit too excited about things. You know, we don't want to drown the beautiful ham because the ham, you know, has got a sweetness and, and sort of a saltiness to it that 
it's just such a, a pleasant experience to eat on Christmas Day. Um, and I think um, as long as people too are thinking about um, those balancing those flavours with glazes, which I think kind of goes a little bit by the wayside when you get excited about your, sorry, um, you get excited, well lots of people get really excited about their jar of marmalade and their, their dollop of mustard um, and, and those sorts of quite old school glazes um, can be really problematic too. I think we find um, often with the mustard, especially like the more American style mustards that we're seeing in the supermarkets now, they're really salty. So you've got to be super careful if you are using a mustard in your glaze. Just make sure that you're tasting it and double checking it um, to, to not overwhelm with that saltiness. Um, but yeah, but keeping in balance the sweet, salty, sour, bitter and umami flavours um, sort of really elevate the ham. One thing I wrote about was cloves. Oh. I just... Not into the cloves, are you? I just, not, not at all. Just they one, they take so long. Yeah, to, true. Uh, a certain someone calls for seventy cloves Whoa. in your ham. That's a lot. And so then they find their way into your mouth, and yeah, that's just, never a good time. Um, the cloves do. There are some people who argue that the cloves serve a functional purpose, and that's yes. where you put them in. So when you make the crisscross cuts on the ham, if you put the cloves in sort of the intersection of the two cups, then it stops the, the glaze um, all sliding off. So you oh, yeah. get a better crust of, of glaze on your ham, um, which is, you know, I prefer just to, to, you know, repeatedly apply the glaze to the ham rather than sort of... Yeah. I quite like the look of cloves in a ham, I'm, I'm not going to lie. But then I don't actually eat the ham, so it's more yeah. just... You could eat the cloves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've Didn't, helped stud them in and I feel helpful. Yeah. Isn't it cloves that you used to stick in a sore tooth? Yes, I was just thinking. I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, I had. Apparently, they stick a they, clove in your sore tooth. Where you go? How do you stick a clove I'm like that in sure. the side of a? I can't remember. I don't well, know. Yeah. But I definitely have heard that. I'm sure my grandmother used to tell me that you put them like in a cavity, and then I like yeah. got a bit older, and I was thinking about it, being like, "What's going on in your mouth that you've got a cavity big enough to big put enough a clove to in?" Stick a clove in. <laughs> Just yeah. go to the dentist. Please That's, go to yeah. the dentist. It's like a homemade filling. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting those health applications of of food. I had olive oil put in my ears by a doctor oh. on Tuesday. Oh to, yeah, how'd to that help go? relieve uh, vertigo migraines. Oh wow. Um, and loosen up uh, some dense earwax, apparently. Mm. Excuse me, listeners. Um, then did it drain out and you took it home and cooked with it? No, I made a candle. Then that's even better. With, with my earwax. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I'm feeling much better, which is good. That's I had, good. A, I had yeah. a week of dizzy spells. Yeah, so. last last week Simon was sort of looked like he was dead on the couch at work for, for oh. a whole day, and I was, thought he was hungover. Came but no. to work to go to sleep. Yeah. It's amazing migraine cures. I've had migraines for most of my life, and the things that people come up with, like just do this, stick um, a clove in it. Whiskey is the the most common <laughs> whiskey. That sounds like a bad idea. Rem- it's a terrible. Have you tried idea. espresso though? My sister reckons. Yeah, yeah. Caffeine. If you feel to. it coming on, you quickly down like a couple of short blacks, and well, yeah. apparently that's based in. Because what happens Science. is it thins your blood. I drink so much coffee, I can probably you're always to maybe not working. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why you get coffee headaches, is because if you're a big time coffee drinker, um, it thins out your blood quite a lot. Yeah. And then your body responds by tightening your arteries. Oh. And so if you don't have that morning coffee to thin your blood, not enough blood is getting to your brain, so it's getting oh, there. You know. It's got quite scientific quite quickly. I wrote a story about it. It's exactly <laughs> the same amazing. problem that happens to cocaine addicts. It's the same. Um, oh. I just feel bad about myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're an addict. It's all legal. 
Um, going back to Champagne Ham, mm-hmm. the Daily Mail, that trustworthy source, says it was originally called Champagne Ham because it was served at celebrations. Oh, that which makes is, sense. Which is, you know. But then a few other ones just say because of the presentation and it's because it looks nice or something. Who knows? So the second glaze is a tamarind and ginger glaze. This is has a little bit of Asian yeah, tinge so to it in my... Tamarind is one of those weird, sort of incredibly ubiquitous fruits that occur, like pretty much everywhere along the equator has tamarind of some form um, in their cuisine. So whether it's South American or a little bit of Mexican cuisine gets into their tamarinds. Um, Southeast Asia, really big on it, um, and, and Indian cuisine as what well. What does a tamarind so, look like? I only see it as um, It's a paste. weird pod. Yeah, it's you can like buy a, the pods at some places. Yeah, so. And can you eat it fresh? Mm. Well, yeah, you must be able to. So mm. do Drew, you, who do I work with, who's our, he's our resident foodie, um, he's just got back from uh, a holiday in Thailand, and he was saying that they were making cocktails with fresh tamarind, um, and, and he was lying next to the pool looking up at this canopy of trees, which turned out were tamarind uh, trees, and, and they were just lopping the fruit off the tree and putting it as a cocktail, which is mm. not a bad way to, to spend. I love the taste of it. Yeah. So it's, nice it's an incredibly sort of... Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like a whole tongue experience. Yeah. So this is what this glaze appears to have is that um sour, uh almost spiciness yep. of the ginger and then the sweetness because it's been turned into a chutney. Yeah. And um and mixed in with the, the beautiful Hackenau ginger syrup, which is I guess in my house it's kind of becoming the go to ingredient for all things. Um, oh nice. Whether you're you're chucking it in your in your soda or um, or in your stir fry, um, I think that's a it's a really really versatile product. So um, it it creates a really good sticky base uh, for this glaze, which is what you want. So you've got to have sugar um, in your ham glaze for it to do the glazing thing properly. I had a phone call a couple of years ago from someone who was trying to make a Coca Cola or a cola based. Um, oh yeah. Glaze oh, and, yeah. and they chucked a bit of the old diet. <laughs> In the in the glaze and it just wasn't doing it and they'd ruined their ham and it was oh, all no. kind of a, just oh, no. a miserable thing. So if you're if you're looking at the uh, the cola options for your your glazes this year, uh, the Karma Cola one caramelizes up full strength. Full strength. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, no zero. Um, yeah, definitely no zero. No zero. <laughs> I really find it hilarious that you get all these ham SOSs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably the coolest part of your job. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, some of the conversations I, I have with people sarcastic. are amazing. <laughs> like, I, I do. I feel really privileged. I had a guy the other day um, who was an older gentleman. Uh, who was on the phone because his doctor had told him that he needed to stop eating red meat so much um, because he was telling me about how he was a very big red meat eater and obviously it was a big no-no for him. Um, So he'd gone and bought some some pork scotch fillets and he wanted to know what to do with them. So it's quite good fun to have conversations like that with people where you can really sort of introduce them to the joys of of seasoning their meat and whacking it in a pan and yeah. we talked about a little bit about making a little pan sauce at the end which is which is always a good time so and a sign of a beautiful company i think where the general manager is uh the one taking those phone calls yeah well, <laughs> you know, we're a very little team so i think people don't quite comprehend when they call freedom farms that there's only four of us so yeah. the chances of getting me are relatively high we should put gregor's uh, cell phone number on the website <laughs> no like how yours is on the spin-off, the only phone number on the spin-off <laughs> wizard is Simon. Well, oh, I'm just the only one who's too lazy to eventually take it off. Everyone's yeah, learned the error of yeah. their way. 
So I just log on to the spinoff.co.nz about page and you can uh, give me a call. No one came <laughs> to see me at the Parnell Farmers Market. Aww. We'll see if, we'll see if anyone sad. gives me a call. The Hakanoa woman is actually at the Parnell Farmers yeah, Market. Yeah, Rebecca. She's so super cool. So go and cool. see Rebecca. Her and, her and Roger run a really cool little company. Um, they won a few foodie awards too, which is cool. Deservedly so, so. So does Jenny uh, over in Waiheke that makes the tamarind yeah, yeah, the chutney. So. so the recipe is 150 milliliters of Jenny's tamarind chutney. Uh, and 150 milliliters of Hakanoa ginger syrup. It doesn't even need to be 150. It's just a 50-50 split. So if you get really excited, I'm prone to doing this. We've got a really little loin ham, um, which is sort of like a 500 gram little format, um, which is perfect if you're heading off to the beach or want to make you know something a little mm, bit special. Mini ham. You can you can whack a little bit of glaze on that too. So with that, it's like two tablespoons of each, and you're away, um, which is super cool. And if you're want to scale it up it's very straightforward i even want mm. to put that on like a leg of lamb or yeah a, like a get into it with everything oh, can't wait for christmas now <laughs> not long to go simon I know, 14 actually. sleeps yeah are we yeah we're 15 <laughs> sleeps shocked. no 14 sleeps soon anyway yeah have you yeah, done your so. christmas shopping i'm going away for christmas oh. so i'm not doing any shopping sweet Make. I've only bought presents for my uh, sister's dogs. That's the only <laughs> Christmas shopping I've done. Priorities, you know. It's very on brand. Yeah. I'm surprised the children haven't got. They'll get something. Yeah, there's so many of them. So the Five f- nieces and nephews. The final recipe is, um, you know, feels a little bit more traditional, but yep. similarly is literally spiced up a bit. Yeah. Um, who, who made this up? Um, so that is an amalgamation of a couple of UK recipe glazes. Um, I think we tinkered with the frozen cranberries, um, the thing that we don't really get fresh cranberries in New Zealand. So the frozen ones um, pop up in the supermarkets in, in around about mid-November. Um, I think maybe some of them carry stock through the year, but that's definitely when they really start to, to appear. Yeah, they're good, the um, frozen cranberries. I put them in my Christmas pudding. Yeah which I still haven't made, but I will. It's a kind of one you can make quite close to Christmas. So. Yeah, well, it's, it's what you want. Yeah. Um, Christmas food traditions are so interesting. I think we talked about it last year. And yeah, like, I think we did. I, I think I've done a full circle and was hating on Pākehā New Zealand Christmas traditions last year. And <laughs> after Christmas Day, I realised how much I enjoy them, mm. except for Fruitcake. I'm not huge on fruitcake. Oh, see, I'm, just, I'm into yeah. it. I love a bit of cheeky bit of fruitcake. So my grandma's meringues are just so much better than yeah. fruitcake I mean, for mm. dessert. I just like having it in the cupboard and you have about three slices a day yeah. just because. Fruitcake's just a grazing. Yeah. Grazing. Well, it reminds me of something that you'd layer have of ice, after yeah. the war when, you know, that lasts a really long yeah. time. But if you was get one that's and energy and got heaps of booze in, then it's, you know. Natural preservative. Exactly. There you go. Like a real moist, rich, boozy fruitcake is nice. Because this yeah. recipe reminds me a lot more of, um, you know, like a a dull London day and yeah. maybe some snow. Well, and part of it too is that I, I don't know if people think that I'm a heathen for saying this, but I hmm. think that turkey is hugely overrated and kind of ridiculous. Fuck turkey, um, like I'm happy to yeah, say yeah. that. <laughs> a lot of people, I don't think many people actually genuinely love turkey. You no. know, it's just the thing that, yeah. It's got it's, novelty factors. It's yeah. so hard just, to cook well. It yeah. just dries out. Yeah. We actually, my, my aunt um, on the family WhatsApp tried to cancel all meat um, this Christmas and, uh, you know, as an acknowledgement of climate change. It's like a, 
statement and thankfully uh that was vetoed because my mum had already ordered the ham (laughs) but it did result in the turkey being put to bed forever so hopefully there is no more uh turkey at our family christmas but maybe i'll suggest that to my family that we go meat free my dad, I tried to get him like a vegetarian sandwich the other day and he didn't even want that. So I reckon mm-hmm. this might be a, a hard ask. It's really but. interesting. We've been writing a lot about the, um, you know, the, the movement towards less meat. And I'm mm. sure it's something that's really important in your world um, to think about because mm-hmm. I know that it's about eating less but better but meat. But better, yeah. So I think that that's the thing that you know, I feel really strongly about is that um, you know, we're seeing all of the plant-based alternatives and stuff coming through, and they are an exciting proposition for a lot of reasons, um, not least of which if you're a person who loves burgers, then you don't need to do your beef burger or your beef and bacon burger five nights a week because you can do your Beyond Burger and you yeah. can get into your crumbed mushrooms and, you know, like there's lots of different options, and it's just just getting people to sort of think about things a little bit differently. Um it's yeah, it's a really tricky subject because New Zealand is, you know, we're, we're pretty much an agricultural nation. We've been we've been in the agriculture space since long before Pakeha arrived in this country, um, and and we've got to figure out a way to sort of um, reclaim our pride in in what we do and how we do it. Um, and I've I've thought about that a lot actually uh, you know, over the last twelve months, especially um, this idea that. You know, we we are hugely critical at the moment of farmers who are who are stepping over the line in terms of their environmental footprint and and how they're managing things. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for um, rather than negating things or shouting them down. It's just supporting something better. Um, I think that's the fastest way that we're going to achieve change is by actually you know coming up with some options that we do feel really proud of and and supporting them. Because like, if we suddenly decided that petrol. Um, was illegal tomorrow, our society would collapse. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if we cancelled meat tomorrow in New Zealand, our economy would fall to pieces. I think our culture would struggle a little bit too. At I the Sustainable that. Business Network Awards uh, two weeks ago, um, I was going to the to the toilet and there was two staff in there and the entire menu was um, ve- vegan? vegan, vegetarian, vegetarian. Was, was it? I think there was... Large portions of vegan, but also vegetarian. Oh, you know, because there was a paneer and some and, of the curries yeah, and, and some cheeses at the end. Yeah, and there were two of the catering staff in the toilet at the same time. Thankfully, they washed their hands. Um, <laughs> but they were talking about how that if they don't eat meat, they get depressed. <laughs> so there is a really um, big cultural uh, bridge to cross as we, you know, transition to to less meat, better mm. meat. Um, and really think about those farmers who are yeah. making it. Who are out there doing the, doing the hard yards. And they are doing the hard yards at the moment too. Let's be clear that being a farmer in New Zealand in the face of some of our recent climate or weather events is, is a pretty hard time. So, yeah. um, so I, think, I have so much respect for farmers because there's so much outside their control. Yeah. They're incredibly skilled and knowledgeable, often generations of knowledge. Absolutely. Yet they um, are at the hands of God at, yeah. So often. Um, mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really, really tough tough road for a lot of them. I think that's something that uh, that I've thought of a, a bit about you know, with social media is that perhaps the the coolest thing about social media is that it's making a lot more farmers uh, more accessible to people. Um, so if you're on Instagram and you, you follow the 
NZ Farmers um, handle. You know, they've got a really cool roundup each week of farmers doing amazing stuff. And if you really want to see, you know, farmers out there, you know, not you, you, I get a little bit jaded by seeing the farmers with their stocks still in waterways and, and all of that stuff. So if you want to celebrate uh, farmers doing cool stuff, there are lots of opportunities to do that. That's cool. And there's so many good, you know, good stuff happening around regenerative, regenerative farming and Absolutely, just changing yeah. the model of it. I think too with the the sort of regenerative movement which is growing, um, I, I've got this thing of, you know, there are, there are a few people out there who polish their halos perhaps a little bit too hard in, in the environmental space because, um, yeah. you know, being sustainable isn't a box that you tick. Mm. Um, it's it's a it's a decision that that farmers and everyone else for that matter makes every day to to try and um, do things the right way. Yeah. And um, yeah. So the regenerative movement, um, I think, probably at this point in time, can be seen as a bunch of discrete farming activities. Um, there are some, you know, truly regenerative farmers coming through in New Zealand. Mm. I think I'm really excited about seeing them become more mainstream over the coming few years so it tastes better as well from a really selfish short um term perspective it tastes so different yeah absolutely so the cranberry glaze i'm going to go through the recipe Mm -hmm. as i quickly bring it up on my phone two cups of frozen cranberries quarter a cup of runny honey three tablespoons of dijon mustard two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar which i think everyone needs to have in their cupboard all the time i totally agree Half a cup of brown sugar and the spice, a quarter of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper. Just use a pinch or admit if this scares you. The heat just balances out the sweetness. It's not supposed to be spicy. This is where I went wrong with our brown's ribs. <laughs> oh, and red teaspoon is tablespoon. It's tablespoon, yeah. That's they a... were so spicy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just you just need a little bit, I think, especially with honey. A lot of things which have got you know honey in them. Um, do benefit a lot from just a tiny little bit of heat just to mm. cut through that that sweetness it can be a bit cloying otherwise and you can um, just blitz that yeah so just chuck it in a pot reduce it down a little bit blitz it so that you don't end up with sort of ugly bits of skin everywhere and away you go that one when I was actually cooking it up too you can build up a super cool crust with that so um, I started off with quite sort of a, a mean um, just brush over it and gave it the first bake and then I think probably every 10 to 15 minutes, um, took it out and just built that up. So by the time we were done, it was quite, quite hearty. Beautiful. Yeah. So we're going to take a very short intermission to shake some Negronis. Ooh. And while you wait, here's more of my voice. <laughs> Kia ora, listeners of Dietary Requirements. If you're listening to this, you must love the spin-off. And the best way to show how much you love the spin-off is to become part of the spin-off members. The fund helps keep us free and accessible to all without a paywall. Hi, I'm Leonie. I'm Alex. And along with our friend Michelle A. Court, we bring you On the Rag every month, which you can find at thespinoff.co.nz and on all good podcast providers. Once a month, we get together in the spin-off studio to reflect on the previous month of news, media, current events, and just life for women in New Zealand. It's a feminist podcast. It's a shrill podcast. <laughs> and we'd love it if you listened. This is out.
As you, as you can tell, we're back with some uh, live Negroni shaking. Um, it's a beautiful sound. It wouldn't be Christmas without some cocktails. <laughs> so when I was reading, we can both shake or stir a Negroni. I'm not sure which is right. Um, yeah, because I said to Simon, I didn't think you shook a Negroni, but then I realised I had no idea. I, just, I think just because when I've had them, when people have made them for me at home, they haven't shaken them. But I think, yeah, probably in bars when you're making a lot. Have you worked in hospitality, Alex? Yes, but only in cafes. So I've never made. We didn't offer a Negroni at <laughs> Nico where I worked. We did have alcohol, but not. Ah, it was maybe before Negronis were in fashion. Because they're very on vogue at the moment. They certainly are. Yeah, and yes. I, I support that. That's um. Yeah, a good time. So delicious and refreshing, yet so strong. So strong. They do their job very well. I often have one at the end of a night, and that's. It's like always a bad, a bad idea. idea, but it's kind of good because I'm like, okay, um, that's, I'm done now. You're done. Having these reminds me of uh, season two, episode three with Henry Oliver. Oh, yeah. After we had about a billion oh my God, yeah, that at, was, um, the Metro Awards. That was Awards. dangerous. And they're really good for remixing as well. Um, I really like a Bolvedere, which is like mm, a yes. winter Negroni with... Um, Replace gin with uh, bourbon. Bourbon, really nice oaky mm. American mm. Uh, bourbon. It adds like an extra depth and warmth to it, so you can have an icy cold drink, but on a um, on a winter night, so it's it's really good. Yeah. And you were talking about one with prosecco. Ella. Yeah, it's called the Negroni Sbagliato, and which means like mistaken Negroni, and instead of gin, it's prosecco, and it's delicious and a bit, you know. Less, still pretty damn boozy, but not as full on as your classic Negroni. And I think it was made because someone accidentally put Prosecco on, hence yeah. it was mistaken. Makes sense. Yeah. Is it, is it an Italian drink? So yeah. I do wonder how many drinks are Thank actually you. just other drinks that were made wrong. Totally, yeah, <laughs> probably quite a lot. Oh, that's a good idea. It kind of sounds like how uh, Sophie Gilmore, our co-host's husband, David, cooks. Is <laughs> this everything's a kind of a giant mistake? It must be frustrating. He's once very drunk cooking carbonara for her birthday because it's her oh. favourite meal, and there was no olive oil in the house, so he thought, "Ah, oh, roses lime cordial. That what? looks that looks like olive oil." And he uh, he fried uh, bacon and roses lime cordial. <laughs> I don't know that I can endorse that. No, I, don't no, I definitely no endorsement. But apparently, even according to Sophie, it was still a legit uh, carbonara experience. Wow, it's mm. amazing. Hey, good Negroni, Simon. Oh, it isn't bad. It's All poured very, by eye. Very uh, interesting for my afternoon's work. But I have to drive a car away, soon, so I can't have another one. Yeah. So, it's Christmas. Cocktails is one of my Christmas traditions. It's mm-hmm. you know that it's when summer first starts to hit you and you need something more than a beer or a wine. What are your family's Christmas traditions or... Special Christmas Day meals. My grandma makes a really weird red onion and nectarine salad, which I love, but yeah, I don't think anyone about else that. does. Maybe last year. It deserves to be raised twice. Yeah, it's, it's an odd thing. Um, I may have mentioned this last year, but I make Nigella's Christmas morning muffins in the morning, which Cute. just like ah mm. uh, cranberry. I think maybe tr- the original recipe is. Dried sour cherries, but I just put dried cranberries in because I always have them. 
and a bit of orange and just like a light, like nice, you know, not like a gross American muffin, like just a little nice light and very easy. And we have them with presents and bubbly. That's oh, a good way to start the day. Yeah. It's very cute. I want to be at Alice's house. Oh, come come around. I oh, know there'll be no meat. Oh, no, there'll just yeah, be you. There'll be just heaps be of meat. There'll be shitloads Rick will have Rick will mad have meat. meat. Yeah. He'll have a sausage with his muffin. <laughs> he probably would. <laughs> what about you, Hilary? Um, I don't know what we really have for family traditions on Christmas Day. It's all pretty changeable in my family, depending on who's around. Um, we used to have the most incredible Christmas days with my grandma um, living in Nainai. And, and the whole Farnow plus, 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 anyone else who who came along were, were included in that. Um, some of my favourite family photos are the ones taken from the end of the table when everyone's got the stupid hats on yeah. out of the crackers and, and those bits and pieces. Mm. Um, I think Grandma's brandy sauce was always a highlight of, Ooh, yes. of that with her, with her pudding, with, always with the little coin in yeah, it. Yeah, my grandma did that too. Coin, mm. but... Yeah, it's amazing how many Christmas things, or like I talked to a lot of people about Christmas and they've always got like that one person in their family that kind of ties it all together that does that whole social side of Christmas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, we generally do a brunch and then like a late afternoon. That's a good idea. Dinner. So brunch is over the years evolved through waffles and pancakes and Eggs Benedict, which is actually Eggs Benedict, I didn't... It never occurs to me that Eggs Benedict is quite easy to cook for a lot of people, but it oh, really is because yeah. you can just sort of line everything up and it becomes sort of a production line. So that's not a bad, bad option for Christmas morning. I've nice. seen people yeah. poach eggs en masse, which I always thought was hard as well. Like if you get that water spinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you got your big enough pot. and Well, cafes is a masterclass. Yeah. Watching them do it. But yeah, that's pretty cool. So why don't we use Christmas Cook's Corner as a chance to both talk about your tips for hams, Hillary, mm. um, and you know we can offer some other thoughts as we go. We'll talk about yeah. uh, how pavlova is a bad idea in places like Auckland. Yeah, mm. um, there's this is all written down, and you can share it with whoever's in the kitchen on Christmas Day at thespinoff.co.nz. But there is some really important tips, yeah, and steps to making sure you get the most out of your ham, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think couple of really important things one is do not trim the fat off your ham that is where the flavor lives if you take that off your ham you're going to have a very sad glaze and a very sad ham and it it, like when you've got that fat and you're cooking it up it kind of like when it gets the crispiness going on and you've got the texture it's just it's a really beautiful part of of the whole experience Um, the other thing is don't chuck the skin away when you're taking it off so um, what you want to do when you've taken the ham out of the plastic wrapper is uh, just run your hand underneath it and just very, very gently separate out the skin from, from that beautiful fat cap. Um, but don't throw the skin away. No, definitely don't throw it away. So you want to keep that preferably in bigger bits because it gets really messy if you're sort of breaking it up into really little pieces and you want to take that and line the bottom of your roasting pan with it um, and then use that to sort of nestle your ham on top of um, then right before you pop it in the oven, you're going to pop a little bit of water in the bottom of the pan. So you're just sort of touching the, the ham skin, but not the ham itself. Um, that serves a couple of purposes. Um, the first, and in my opinion, the most important is that you're not going to burn all of your glaze onto your roasting pan. Um, I do remember that from when I was really, really little to it was grandma's roasting pans leaning up against the washing line because they'd been taken outside you know, with the hose uh, trying to yeah. scrub them. 
Um, so that solves that problem completely. You're not going to have that issue. Um, but the other thing is, is that you can use some of the pan juices. So, you know, once at the very end of cooking, once some of that glaze is sort of slid off the ham and creates this beautiful, mm. glossy, um, fatty sort of drizzle, I guess. Oh, I'm getting hungry. Right yeah, mm. for, for your ham right, right before you serve it or take it out of the oven. So that works really, really well. Um, and it is... Yeah, you'll get lots of brownie points from the uh, the person who's doing the dishes after you've finished your yes. Christmas dinner if your ham pan is not in an absolute state. Um, there are some other tips, like Annabelle Langbine's, Langbine suggests um, popping the ham in the oven just for a few minutes before you take the skin off, just by heating it up. Um, you can kind of loosen it. I don't like that just because of the whole feel of putting your hand in something that's kind of like warm. <laughs> it's not it's not my idea of a good time. But if that works for you, if you're you know, if you're into that then then cool. Um yeah. Alice, cool. you've got any Christmas tips? Well my tip was going to be I mean it could be Christmas related, but in 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 the lead up to Christmas, get your knives professionally sharpened. Oh, Basically an all it's just an all year tip. Because whenever you do, you then think, God, I should have done this a long time ago. Is it I'm true? Mine are super blunt at the moment. I'm like, God, I read it and I just keep forgetting. I'm sure I've read somewhere too that you have less accidents in the kitchen when you've got sharp knives yes. compared to when you've got you slide around. I have less, read that. Yeah. However, I have, but then I am the world's clumsiest person. But when I do get them sharpened, and then I generally always end up mm. cutting myself because right. I forget. You know, you have to press less hard when you're chopping. Mm. Do you have any go to sharpeners? Uh, I go to House of Knives on Mount Eden Road usually because I'll do it just overnight. Mm. Whereas some places, places only do it like once a week, and then if you get the wrong day, you have to wait a week. There's a very earthy it's looking like $7 guy. Maybe. Oh wow, that's amazing! Yeah. Very earthy looking guy at the uh, Matakana Markets. On oh the yeah, Saturday. I'm sure he'd be good. Well, he, he looks like he's he'd earthy. Be good. Yeah, he's yeah. Um, he, he looks like a knife guy. <laughs> get, big time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should think of an off. Off the top of my head, vegetarian Christmas tip. What is your vegetarian Christmas uh, uh, focal up. point? I usually do. I one I've gone back to is doing like stuffed red capsicums because they're very good at festive. them. Festive. They're quite. Festive. Yeah. What did I do them Yeah. You yeah. made them for Al Brown. Oh yeah. The, the lost Al Brown. Oh, tapes. those little cute ones. Yeah. yeah, those are cute. Oh yeah, maybe I should do them this year. Yeah, they were good. Or you can do half capsicums and fill them with like quail lentils and feta or something. Mm. Or just an array of yummy, hearty salads is good yeah. for a New Zealand Christmas. I think you can't go wrong with a good salad. You yeah. Know, like, good, hearty salad. Yeah. It's always the saddest thing in the world when you see someone, you know, empty out their bag of mescaline with their oh, quartered yeah. tomatoes. No. It's, um, yeah. Depressing. Yeah. There's, there's lots more. There's so there's much so to do with salads. Salads yeah. can be, like, I'll never forget when I was a vegetarian, um, it really confused my mother-in-law because I didn't, wasn't having that focal point of protein. Yeah. I was like, look at everything else you've served. It's yeah. so beautiful and mm. delicious. Like I don't necessarily need that slice of lamb or yeah, absolutely. I think the textures that too that you can get in salads you can't really get with a lot of meats. Yeah, um, true. With the you know, the cr- crumbly crispy. Yeah. And that's a good thing to think about when you're making them. Just, you know, yeah. balance. Nancy Silverton's really big on Salads having their own place on restaurant menus, not mm. being a side, oh, yeah. Yeah. it being a salad. It's, 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 yeah, I, and like you can see why. Things are good at Christmas time too. Yeah, Toast them up because they're Christmassy. Festive. You can 
get the children to do the rubber exactly. in the tea towel business. Yes, and that's a good point. What are yeah. the, is it hazelnuts that are smoked up in the street in Europe? It's during? chestnuts. Chestnuts. Mm, yeah, but that's nice. That's, it's good fun. I don't think they taste that, that nice. No, but it's, kind it's of, the idea of it. Though. Yeah, exactly. And the yeah. idea is you know, more important than the okay. taste sometimes. Yeah. Mm. So you're not just a pork expert, you're an egg expert. An expert. Oh, Alice, <laughs> I walked into that one. Um, but the one egg tip for uh, Christmas that I've really thrived off that you provided me, Hillary, is don't make pavlova. Just don't if bother. If it's humid. But it's always humid yeah. in Auckland. Well, yeah, that's true. I assume yeah, we have a nationwide listeners. World, worldwide, yeah. worldwide, yeah. yeah. We've been yeah, contacted from all over the world. So if you're if you're in a dry winter place, you can make a pair. Yeah, they fill your boots, but yeah. But if you're um if you're afraid of the old leaky pav, mm. um the humidity is not going to do you any favors on that one. There's so. nothing worse than a collapsing yeah, piece of baking. Yeah. Well, I guess like if you are going to commit to a pav, if that's something you're really into, then you can just smother it and like whole lot of cream and, and heaps and heaps of fruit and just pretend that it was supposed to be like Buy that. it from yeah, the supermarket true. if you're going to do that. But. Yeah. A lot of the supermarket ones, I don't know, this is my Freedom Palms hat going back on. Not free range eggs. Ah, yeah, I've got to be super I careful. Th- I never think of labelling when I go down to um, pre-made stuff. Yeah. It's you the, got that's to, where, What is it, like 60% of the eggs in this country go into yeah. food service? So, yeah. Wow. That's why it's so cool, you know, the work safer doing, um, getting restaurants and, and hotel chains and stuff to sign up to their pledge to, to go cage free. Um, it's a really mm. cool movement to cool. tackle those big players. So why do pavs collapse, but it's it works better to do a meringue? Um, just because of the moisture. Yeah. You want it, that meringue moisture um, that you have in the middle of a pav. It's just going to sweet all over the place. What are you looking for when you whip your egg whites? Do you want to be able to tip the bowl upside down or is that something else? Isn't that whipped cream? That's yeah. Maybe. Well, I think just stiff peaks. Yeah. You're supposed to be able to tip the But not up. dry. You don't yeah. want it to get dry Is and sort different? of that sort of almost crumbly Crumb- looking yeah, texture. You want a yeah. chewy, chewy meringue. Yeah. You want it stuck in your teeth. Exactly. Mm. Um, I don't think people should be afraid about adding flavours to the meringues too. So things like the uh, fresh as fruit powders are a really cool option if yes. you want to swirl some of that through you don't need to mix it all the way through you just put a little bit in and, and give it a good swirl and you get those beautiful sort of colors mm. um, you could do it with raspberry and you get almost like a a Christmassy looking yeah that's little, a good idea little meringue I believe we Which may is... be having some recipes coming up yeah, yeah with that that'd be so cool. keep an eye on the site I love eating um, mess at Christmas as well oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. you know fresh fruit cream Can't go wrong. meringues do you put yogurt in your one I haven't before. Or does that go? That or is that does that get into ambrosia? It's ambrosia. Oh, yeah, I love ambrosia. I'm really addicted yeah. to coconut yogurt at the moment. Oh, I think right. that's quite co- well in ambrosia yeah. actually. Yeah, I, re- I reckon that would work really well. I've been um, the Sunday breakfasts. Mm. I've just been doing fresh berries, so strawberries, blueberries, and raspberries, coconut yogurt, and my friend's honey. Yeah, and mm. it's so delicious. It's also like still a little bit, just a little bit naughty. Mm. Yeah, but but. Not as naughty as like pancakes or something. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Mm. And has anyone eaten anywhere fun recently? Yep, I have. Last night, in fact, I went to Barulo in Parnell, Auckland, where I hadn't been before. It You've was, never been to Parnell? I, well, <laughs> no, I have. I mean, I don't often make a habit of going to that side of the city because it scares me. Parnell is weird. It's like this um, 
little it's, it reminds me of Kerry Kerry in the far north like it's this little uh sort of society unto itself yeah it's, it's kind of hard to get to if you're anywhere other than Remuera um <laughs> like it's, it's it's like it's got awkward mode like the port it's like how do you get you get off there, at the port yeah, or do you, you go through Newmarket yeah, do you go like, like how the the fuck do you get to yeah. <laughs> yeah. like does anyone know please write yeah. in tell us how do you get yeah. there my office is there, so I'm quite happy. So if you know how, don't to, know how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> just and once yeah. you're there, it's, it's this fascinating place. It's, yeah, it's a really weird little microcosm of Auckland. It like, is. It's yeah. probably the only suburb that has like a fedora shop. Oh, <laughs> oh no, God. that closed down. Oh. Oh. But um, pasture got a new pop up thing going in oh, next to it, which is apparently going to be that. super cool. Like a fedora pop up. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. It's a, a little, bar or little, something, you know? Yeah, like a cocktail bar. So like a place you can actually go to pasture and not spend a million dollars in all night, which Literally. is, you know, <laughs> worth doing once in your life or twice. But um, and art galleries per capita, there's a lot yeah, of, a lot of art of galleries. Than, than most places. Yeah. It's kind of a weird underperformer though, Parnell. Like that, I feel like it should have more going on than it does. Mm. There's a few shop runs along there that have been vacant for... A solid decade. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Mm. But then a few classics as well that have been, feel like they've been there forever. Thai Friends. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's a valid point. Mm. Um, we do have some good restaurants. Jerome's not bad. They do a Oh, it's better than not bad. Holy. Is, it's is so good. good. Um, Han, uh, I was at Han uh, last week actually. Um, that was, that's a very cool yeah. little spot. Really, really quiet. So if you're looking for a quiet place for your work do or whatever, then Han's a good time. Yeah. So ta- it's the, Korean, isn't it? It is Korean. Yeah. yeah. And I had um I had spicy calamari on like a pancakey thing, and it was it was really good. Yeah. Really, really good. And they've got the the barbecues too. So if you're into that kind of interactive cooking experience, yeah, that's right. Too, that's, that's cool. That's you get a little bar- mini barbecue on your table. Yeah. It's so much fun. Eh? I really, yeah. I really enjoy that yeah. style of Korean. Yeah. Um, so at Barulo, I had it was a food writers function for the Food Writers New Zealand little media organisation, and there were big platters with like Mount Cook salmon with a mango salsa and a beautiful sweet corn dish, my first of the season, and just really nice salads and big like tortillas and um, with the yummy guac and salsa. Yeah. It was good. Good times. Oh, and like, alfajores, those that are like ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Oh, they were so good with like chocolate very shortbread. Cool. Well, that's very close to my. Yeah, uh, that's a nice segue. For so, I've, recently I've been to the Weimar Dairy, which uh-huh. is uh, about 400 meters up the road from my house. It was that f- that very hot Saturday uh, last weekend. Sorry for all the listeners down country. Auckland had beautiful weather while well, you kind of got shed on. Yeah. Um, and my wife, who's very pregnant with two babies, she hit her first wall and she just had enough. And I got her a Eskimo pie and mm-hmm. it just did all the things that it should and um, basically saved her life. And You're I, a hero. I, I highly recommend I, the hero in this story, Alice, is the Eskimo. Yeah. It's the Inuit pie. The Inuit pie, yeah. Um, and, magically named. Yeah. And I highly recommend the summer just smashing a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of ice cream at the same yeah. time. It's so much yeah, fun. Yeah, I have not had an Eskimo pie in years, and now I'm going to. Yeah. Agreed. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Hilary. It's been really, really fun, and oh. I've learned heaps, even though I should have known um, most of it. Yes, you're very knowledgeable. 
Hold on, weren't we going to get Tina to share her? Oh, Tina has a tip. tip. Tina has a tip. Tina, our podcast producer, taking the mic. Hi, guys. How's that Negroni, Tina? It's strong as fuck. (laughs) It certainly is. Just how you like it, though. True. Very true. Anyway, I have a tip for all the people that get, like, favorites and chocolates that they don't Mm -hmm. eat. Mm -hmm. Save them all. Melt them down and make them into a rocky road. Oh my god, I love it. That's actually That's genius. Pretty genius. Yeah. I did it last Christmas and it was the bomb. And then I turned out that I like Turkish delights and stuff now. So. Wow. Did you invent that? You should like trademark it or yeah. something. That sounds like a spin off .co.nz recipe. Yeah. You, do you want your first byline in the food section? No. Never. Come on. I'll pay you. Leave no, me off the site. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. That was a That's great tip. Yeah, amazing tip. But thanks so much, Hilary. Yeah, Pleasure. thanks, Hilary. Merry Christmas and good Merry luck over Christmas. the next few weeks. I know Thank it's you. really hectic uh, being a ham dealer. Yeah. <laughs> um, people fun. don't call Hilary on Christmas Day. Like, I um, won't know my phone's going off on Christmas yeah. Day. You should, you should change your answer phone message to, if you need any guidance with ham, there's a beautiful recipe on the spin-off. I was actually day on trying to script what we were going to put on our answer phone, so let's just solve that. There yeah. you go. Or you could just give out Gregor's cell phone number. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that'd go down very well. No. I still think you should do it. <laughs> Blame Simon. But Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank Merry you for Christmas, joining us everyone. for another 12 months. And uh, we will be back in the new year with um, another set of, with two more babies added to the team. So many babies. And Starting. we'll have to bring them all in at some point. But uh, thank you for spending the year with us. It's been lots of fun. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.